1: 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from my home stadium, the Broadway Podcast Network Studios. This is usually a pretty exciting time of year for me because now that football's over, uh, we've got pitchers and catchers right around the corner. Everyone can start to think about you know, the whole Hope Springs Eternal thing, especially for my Yankees this year. Uh, a lot of great stuff to be excited about now that we've got Garrett Cole on our side, Jeter's in the hall. And of course, Chapman is back with his contract extension, and being the huge theater fan that he is, like myself, I'm sure he's pretty excited about the big slate of Broadway shows that we have coming up this season. And one of those just happens to begin previews this week. I'm lucky enough to be sitting down with one of the show's big hitters, so if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting. Caitlin Houlihan. What's happening, Kate? Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you.
2: You as well. Thanks for having me.
1: It's a pleasure.
2: I'm surprised. No Indians hat tonight? I should have worn it. It has the little C on it, and everyone thinks it stands for Caitlin, but it's (laughs) Cleveland.
1: (laughs) Ohio girl through and through. Yes. Now, I guess you you and I are around the same age, so I guess when you were growing up, it was kind of like the wheelhouse of those those great Indians teams, and the Jacobs field at the time, they had set the record for, you know, that sellout streak and whatnot. You were at quite a few of those historic games.
2: Oh yeah. That was a big thing for the, uh, the Houlihan family. Um, my grandmother, who's, who's, Basically, the head of the Houlihan side of the family is a huge baseball fan. And so we would constantly go. Um, my dad and his four brothers and all of our families would all go together. And I specifically have this picture of us sitting like along the foul line. Like there's a—oops, uh, sorry. Hit the microphone. <laughs> there's the foul—what's uh, that thing called? Pole. <laughs> The yellow pole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not called the yellow pole. Foul pole. You were at right the first time.
2: Okay, the foul pole. I just have a picture of me climbing it, which I'm sure would never happen now. I'm sure it's you know illegal or, or something <laughs> like that. But I just remember being there, and I remember the energy of it. Um, I remember my uncle during a, we were doing the wave, and he was just throwing me into the air. And it, I just have such fond memories being down there and not really understanding what was going on, but feeling the buzz and the energy of, we're a good team. And it was Jacob's Field. And like that was just everything when when I was a kid.
1: Now, your Indians beat my Yankees in the 97 Division Series. And I understand that you have a little bit of a personal connection to that particular Indians team. Why don't you tell me about that?
2: Well, I remember being there with my family. And um, one of the things about my grandma who loved baseball was she was also uh, a part of a clowning ministry. So she was really good at painting our faces, uh, however, we wanted them to be painted. And she got really great at um, painting a Chief Wahoo. And so my brothers and I had painted faces. We had Chief Wahoos on our faces. It was um, very exciting. And we were there. And I didn't really know what was going on, but I just remember sometime during the late innings of the uh, game, everyone started cheering and nothing had gone on on the field. It was just that uh, a certain uh, team had beat another team and it made it so that we were going to the World Series. And that was like the energy of of Jacob's Field, which was just like filled to the gills at that point was, I remember being very young, but understanding that something very exciting was happening.
1: Who were your guys growing up?
2: Uh, Omar Vizquel, Manny Ramirez, Kenny Kenny Griffith Jr. Is
1: Ken, Kenny Lofton.
2: Kenny. Lofton. Well, wasn't there a Griffith? Ken there's, Griffey there's,
1: Jr. of Seattle Mariners. <laughs> Close. He never
2: played for the Indians.
1: No, he didn't. He played uh-huh. in the All Star game though at Jacobs okay. Field in
2: '97. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. No, I have no idea. I just know my brothers collected all the baseball cards, and so these were the names that kind of came up. But definitely Omar Vizquel—he was my grandma's favorite. He was number thirteen, which is like mine and my grandma and my dad's favorite number. And so it was Omar Vizquel.
1: You mentioned Manny Ramirez before. Something I want to bring up to you, and you know, obviously, you know, you remember Derek Jeter. I think that by the time you got to New York, he had retired. But pretty big part of oh, baseball yeah. growing up for you, even out in the Midwest. I uh, recently got elected to the Hall of Fame. First of all, from the outside, what are your thoughts on Jeter?
2: I mean, from what I understand, he's a incredible baseball player, and um, I think he's done a lot for the city of New York and for the Yankees, and so uh, I think it's probably pretty good that he was inducted into Wait, the Hall.
1: You're very right about that. He has done a lot for the city, and so we just recently had these Hall of Fame inductions, and a lot of writers took the stance of wanting to give Jeter his moment in the sun. And I'm asking you this as a consummate professional in your industry, much like Jeter was in baseball, to go back to Manny Ramirez, a lot of writers have taken a stance of not wanting to let some of the players who are linked to performance-enhancing drugs into the Hall of Fame along with the guys who did it the right way. You've always done things the right way out on the stage, can I just hear your you know, personal ties to Manny aside? Listen, I'm a Yankee fan. I love A-Rod. He's <laughs> probably not going to get it in one day. What's your take on all this?
2: Hmm. I think that I probably don't know enough about the circumstances to really give an educated opinion on it. However, I think being on Broadway and having it be compared to a professional sport at times in the way that you have to constantly be healthy and um, strong and your voice has to be in good health. Um, uh, there's a lot of times that uh, we as performers have to use a steroid to help the inflammation in our throat go down so that we can appear on the stage and so that we're not out of the show for too long. And so I imagine that If that was considered a performance-enhancing drug, then there are plenty of people on Broadway who are incredible, incredible performers who would be considered to be on these performance-enhancing drugs when really it's kind of less of a drug for us. It's more of a tool that helps us be where we need to be um, eight times a week. And it's not something that is used constantly. Sometimes for people it is, but a lot of times it's used in just a... Occasional, um, you know, you have a virus and you need to be on and you have to take this. And so I I just wonder with, you know, baseball, I know it's a little bit different with um, those performance enhancing drugs, but sometimes I wonder if it's like these people were in a pinch or um, it was necessary at the time and now it's being looked upon in a different way.
1: Now, on the Broadway side of things, that's usually prescribed by a doctor?
2: Yes. Yeah, a yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Like with an ENT, and um, and it's very um, watched over very closely.
1: Is that a union thing, or that's within the production?
2: Um, I would say it's more of a personal thing, because if you're calling out because something's wrong with your voice, you would go see a doctor, um, and that would be through your own insurance and everything. Yeah.
1: Now, you started on Broadway during a very exciting time in Cleveland Indians history. Just as you arrived in New York, I believe it was October when you started your run in Waitress. They won their first pennant since 97, and you're going on as Dawn uh, in Waitress at that point. Uh, Take me through everything that's going through your head. I know you had done quite a bit of theater to that point outside of Broadway, but when you look back at that, what, what are some of the things that stand out?
2: A lot of it is a blur, um, especially going into my Broadway debut. Because for the first two for two weeks prior to that, I was constantly in rehearsal. And although I was very nervous, and I was rehearsing, and I was at the show, it all kind of was this ball that was just rolling towards my Broadway debut. And then I made my Broadway debut, and then it was like, okay now I get to just do this. And I, it's not about that one night, my very first night. It's like about the continuation of being on Broadway. And then among that kind of rolled in was like, oh my gosh, my team is going to the World Series. And that was e- supremely exciting. Um, and so a lot of times my night would end with me going next door to Glasshouse to watch some of the, the games. Um, and I remember the night that uh, they were playing against Chicago and it it wasn't looking like it was going to happen, but it was all very exciting because I knew that one of the teams would win. And I felt, even though I was rooting for Cleveland, obviously, I felt that Chicago also very much deserved it. And I thought they played really well.
1: It was a great seven game series. We, you know, being a big, you know, sports fan on Broadway, you know, when you're going through something like that, do you think it pumps you up for your performance in some ways?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, I know that like I had a hat, I had my red Cleveland Indians hat and I would wear it all the time. And, um, our, one of our doormen, uh, Sonny is a huge sports fan, huge Yankees fan grew up in the city and he would always have a little TV and he would have the game playing. And so when I wasn't on stage, a bunch of us would be gathered around the TV watching. And he, he was, uh, Sonny was really supportive of the Indians because he knew I was. And so he was always giving me little updates. And so it just made it really exciting, especially when, you know, you're doing a show eight times a week. It's not always, you know, um, there, there are things that make it easy to get through and fun to get through. So,
1: yeah, you need like a little bit of an outlet, not
2: absolutely something that's different than what you're doing on stage every day.
1: Yeah. And it's not, yeah. a, it, as long as it's not a distraction, I could see, you know, being a performer, like I said, you're a consummate professional, um, I think of anything, you know. Granted, I don't perform on Broadway, but I if if the Yankees were in the World Series, you know, if I'm making my Broadway debut, that would uh, that would get me pretty stoked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really exciting year. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions
2: apply. See website for details.
1: You've had a pretty interesting path because to my understanding, uh, you went to school not to act but for music therapy?
2: I did. I started as a music therapist. Um, well, I guess I wasn't, a f- I wasn't an official uh, music therapist, but... I started off in music therapy for a couple years um, because I didn't feel that I was someone who would be on Broadway. I had done some shows growing up and I had done some shows uh, in high school, but it was nothing that uh, ever made me feel like I am a star and I'm going to go on to Broadway. I I really thought, okay, music therapy is going to be a great way for me to incorporate my love for music with helping people. Um, And although it was really lovely and I had a great time doing it, it wasn't what I wanted to do in my heart. And uh, I was lucky enough to go to Baldwin Wallace where they had a music theater program. And I kind of secretly auditioned for the program. I didn't want anyone to know because I I didn't want to be embarrassed if I didn't get in. And I happened to get in. And so I ended up spending an extra year studying and um, after that it was kind of all whirlwind.
1: Tell the folks at home just a little bit about what a music therapist does.
2: So music therapy is basically um, a way to use music as a medium to help people um, heal or through situations. So um, I'd been working at one point with Um, young children with disabilities. Um, Some of them uh, were blind, some of them just had developmental disabilities, and I would go in, I would have three or four of them, um, and we would I would bring in an auto harp, which basically you would just set on their lap and I could kind of program it to play a certain background song. And all they had to do was rub their hand along this strip and it would make sound. And so um, it was just a way to bring music into their lives where it hadn't been before. And it um, scientifically, music kind of lights up different parts of the brain than, um, than things like reading and other things like that do. And so there were a lot of studies that um, proved that music therapy really helped people and changed people. Um, it's also something that you can use uh, for like a quality of life life purpose. So you can work in a hospice and you can go in and you can write songs with people who uh, don't have a lot of time left and it kind of helps them through that last part of their life and transitioning. Um, So it can be used in in a a million different ways. Um, And it was really beautiful to see some of the changes that I saw in the kids that I was working with um, and the way that their faces would just light up when they would hear music, and so that was that was a really beautiful, beautiful thing. But um, and I think there are plenty of people in the world who do it really wonderfully. But I felt like I wasn't being called to do that any longer.
1: You kind of got the itch to to try acting,
2: yeah. And I always thought, you know what, this is something that I think that I can return to later in life. But at the time, I was really felt like I was being pulled in a direction of performance.
1: You know, it's funny. We have a lot of baseball players as well. One that comes to mind for, you know, back in the nineties, there's a few, you used to have a lot of dual sport athletes, you know, who, you know, once they went to college, went on to play football, started a career in the NFL. And then sometimes they would simultaneously, you know, do both. Was there a particular project or did something come up, you know, while you were doing music therapy where you're like, Hey, let me give this a try and and see what happens.
2: Yeah, actually, now that you say that, um, so I had been doing music therapy, but I had kind of been, uh, in attendance of all of the music theater programs, um, performances and workshops and things like that. And, uh, they were putting on, uh, they were going to perform rent and they also were having the vocal performance, um, department perform La Boheme, and they were going to do it in rep and, uh, they needed, um, someone to be a child wrangler but at the same time maybe be on stage and I at the time and I think sometimes I still do look like I'm very young and so I auditioned and they they cast me as the child wrangler on stage and off (laughs) and so at the time I was doing the music therapy and I was doing all of those classes but I was kind of in this show at the same time or this opera and um yeah it was it was a nice way to feel like I had my foot in the door of performance at balden Wallace and I think that gave me a little bit of confidence to go okay I think I'm gonna audition for this
1: did you have much experience coming to New York growing up as a kid
2: um performance wise or or just coming
1: even coming just to in visit? general
2: I mean I I had been here a few times I had come with a friend um growing up but No, I don't think anything can really prepare you for living here. (laughs) It was a huge culture change um, in a wonderful, wonderful way.
1: How'd you get discovered? um, Because I guess, to my understanding, you did an out-of-town tour, um, Bridges of Madison County. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of how you got discovered and made your way to New York City?
2: So actually, so with Baldwin Wallace being in their music theater program, um, at the end of your senior year, you go to New York. It's part of the program. And um, we had 15 people in my class and you put on what's called a showcase. And so it's about like a 45 minute show that we performed for a room full of agents. And each of us had about um, 90 seconds each where we did you know, 16 bars of a song into another 16 bars of a song and kind of you were able to show off you. Um, And from there, I was able to sign with an agent.
1: What song did you sing that got you signed?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, So I sang this song by Kerrigan and Loudermilk called My Party Dress, which is legitimately sung by like a (laughs) five-year-old. It's very funny. It's like just one of my favorite songs by them. And then I went into... um, Carrie uh, the musical just like the movie Carrie which I had played the title role at BW that past spring so I just sang those two songs and something worked <laughs> so <laughs> and then from there I was able to sign with agents who had sent me out and so I actually got the the Bridges and Madison County tour with them as well and then it kind of that you know everything that you do has a hand in what you do next so
1: now Everyone, in, at least in baseball, you kind of have a performance or a role that you're synonymous with. I guess performance is probably more fitting. Like for Derek Jeter it was the flip play. Uh, for Chapman, it was throwing 105 miles an hour. Do you think that there's a certain performance that you've done to this point that kind of that kind of um, best exemplifies your style? Hmm. Well, I
2: think that If you would have asked me a few years ago, I would have said, oh, well, I'm like the kid. Like, I'll do—I do young stuff. Like, I play the 14-year-old or the 15-year-old. But I think as I kind of grow into what I would like to be thought of as, I think of myself as kind of the character actress, like the comedian um, who likes to also sing. And I feel like uh, the part that I'm playing current, or that, that I was playing in waitress um, really exemplified that, and so I was able to like kind of hone that skill for uh, as long as I was in that show.
1: You've talked about your affinity for that that character, and I guess you you had discovered this, the soundtrack while you were out on tour.: Yes. And were you now, at what point did you actually see the show? And be like, hey, I've got to do this and you know, make my way over to the Brooks Atkinson.
2: So during tour, you have layovers where you kind of have a week off or you have two weeks off. And it just so happened that we had two weeks off uh during the previews of Waitress. And I knew that when I went back, like that's what I wanted to spend my money on. And I dragged my boyfriend at the time there and I made him sit with me in the middle of the orchestra I got really great seats because I just I wanted it to be as good as I hoped it would be and it was and I just cried and I laughed and I was like singing along and like not sing not singing out loud but I was definitely very active while I was watching and that was the day that I just was like this I have to do this someday this specific I have to play Don someday yeah
1: it's such a fun role because like you said, you know, you you know when you're it's it's a real character. You know, she she's got a loopy side to her. Are you having fun on stage or are you so focused on like what you have to do that you kind of have to separate the two?
2: No, I think maybe for the first few months I felt like I had to really focus and kind of um figure out how I wanted to play the role, but ever since then it's just been fun. And it's been fun. Every time someone new comes in, things change in little ways and in big ways. And you just kind of get to have more fun and find new things. And so I definitely would say it's it's more fun. What's
1: interesting about that one is you had such a revolving door of all stars, right? And all of a sudden, you're playing alongside of them. So you start off, it's kind of like with Jesse Mueller, for example, is your Jenna. And that's kind of like Joe DiMaggio on Centerfield, right? <laughs> she leaves and all of a sudden you bring in Sarah Bareilles. It's like Mickey Mantle coming in. I, it's like, did you feel like, what's it like to be in a juggernaut like that?
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, I think there's a day that you're like, holy crap. Like, I cannot believe I get to do this. Like, especially, I mean, specifically with first of ball, Jesse, who when I saw the show, I was watching her. And so to watch her on stage do something and then all of a sudden be next to her, watching her do that same thing, but from the angle of being next to her, it's like very, very surreal, um, especially because her craft is so beautiful and so intricate and detailed. And then Sarah came in and we didn't know what to expect. You know, she hadn't done a, a ton of acting. She wrote the songs. Like we weren't really sure what was going to happen. And it was every bit as magical as we wanted it to be. Um, And so I had those moments of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm sitting here singing a song that Sarah wrote in front of her face, you know, on this stage. But then there's a point that comes where you go, this is normal. And you do, you have to kind of think this is normal because it's just, these are normal people who are really good at what they do. And I'm thankful that I got to be on the same plane as them for even just a little bit.
1: The same field, so to speak. Yeah. So I guess, so was it more of a mindset rather than like a certain I made it moment or, oh, I really killed that song that night?
2: I think they- you have those days too when you're like, oh man, yeah, I really got that tonight, you know. And uh, but it's it's definitely a mind game for me personally. I think, um, especially when I know that my parents are sitting in the audience. Like that specifically is, I know that you know some. Uh, baseball players might not play as well when their parents are there or when like their girlfriend's there or when someone is there who is really important to them. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they play really, really well when those people are there. And I think uh, it's it's a similar thing. I feel that when my parents are in the audience, it's never my best performance because I'm so nervous because I want it to be best performance but then i'm in my head about it and it completely affects the way i breathe and the way uh i place my voice and sing my song Uh Wow! yeah
0: step into the world of power loyalty
2: Play for free at
0: Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Now it's interesting. Your next project here, um, much of the mold of waitress, the girl from the north country. Uh, you have music written by an iconic songwriter set to an existing story. I guess in this case, it was the book by Connor McPherson. Uh, I know you were part of the Public Theater's production. Uh, I guess that was last year. Mm -hmm. Um, What can fans expect?
2: Oh, man. Um, I think fans can expect... It's hard to say what they can expect because it's so different from anything that I've personally come across um, because the show really feels like a play. Especially because um, it's pre-existing Bob Dylan music. It's not Bob Dylan didn't write music for this show. He basically gave us his, uh, not me personally, but he gave the team <laughs> his, uh, you know, his collection of songs and said, "Pick whatever ones you want. Do whatever you want with them. Here you go. You know, his whole catalog." And so the 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 songs and the lyrics don't really move the show forward in the way that a typical musical would. Um, And so it feels like a play, one, because Connor McPherson wrote it and he has never written a musical before. Um, So this is a first for him. Um, Two, because it feels like, it almost feels like you're looking at a painting while you're watching it and you're, you're overcome with what the mood of the piece is or what the mood of the scene is. And so the songs that Dylan wrote, whether he wrote them in the sixties, in the eighties, there's one song that I think was written in like 2012, like, cause he's, he had his songwriting has spanned decades, but um no matter when he wrote the songs for whatever reason, he wrote them, they seem to fit that character at that time. Um And it's, really artistic and intriguing to make those connections while you're watching it. So it's not something that you're going to go to and you're going to leave laughing or you're going to leave in a bright, peppy mood, but it's something that you'll leave in deep thought and you'll be thinking about it for days. And that's what I love about it.
1: Tell us a little bit about your character.
2: So my character, uh, her name is Kate Draper, and um, the thing that's interesting about her is she's an outsider. Um, The whole show takes place in Duluth, Minnesota, and it takes place uh, at a boarding house, and the family that owns the boarding house and the families um, that are staying in the boarding house. And her connection to them is that uh, she's dating... Or was dating the son of the man who owns the boarding house. And um, she kind of comes in and you learn what her story is. And since it takes place during the Great Depression, people were kind of always looking for a way to get out or a job or um, a way to make their life a little better. And she's someone who found a way to do that. And she's doing that. But at the same time, she has. She still has unresolved feelings and some guilt about doing that. And so she's coming around to talk to this boy that she used to date about that. And um, it's Colton Ryan, and we get to sing this uh, beautiful rendition of I Want You together. Um, very, very different from Bob Dylan's original version of it. But um, we hope that it just leaves you wanting to know more about their story.
1: Was it a big adjustment for you to have to really take take hold of this role, given how different it is from some of the other stuff that you've done?
2: It was a huge adjust- adjustment, um, especially after doing waitress. I had been in waitress for almost two years at that point, doing the same role, you know, eight times a week—a very uh, highly energetic, anxious, belty kind of role. Um, going to a more subdued. Uh, midwestern dramatic character. It's completely different. However, it was really artistically fulfilling, especially to go from something that was so high energy that I knew I could do to going into something where I, I felt like I was being challenged to do something that I'm not typically known for yet.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. That's, it's like taking on a new position in baseball. Yeah, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like moving from uh, center field to first base, or something. Actually, no, probably if it's more challenging, it, shortstop. Like moving from, uh, like moving from first base to shortstop. That's oh like, man, that's because like, first baseman completely different position. Like shortstop, you're in, uh, involved in every play, yeah. more or less. So it's the, that, that, that. I could cut all that out because the last <laughs> part. I like. I'll keep it at the no, position I liked,
2: <laughs> I liked that.
1: So you're going to be doing performances starting this week, and you're going to be uh, doing—just tell the folks at home a little bit about when they could come and catch the show. Are we going to do Tuesday through Sunday? Yes,
2: I believe that our schedule is Tuesdays through Sundays. We'll have two uh, a matinee and an evening on Wednesday, and a matinee and an evening on Saturday, and then a matinee on Sunday. Everything else will be evening shows.
1: Well, you sound really excited about it, and we personally are pretty excited to see it as well. Yeah. Now, before you go off to Minnesota, it wouldn't be break a bat if we didn't play a little game. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Now, it's called Fastball Derby. I want you to visualize yourself. You're at the Jake. There's 50,000 screaming fans. You're up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. Uh, Game seven of the World Series, man on second, man on third. You got to bring them in or else- or else that's it. Okay. All right. I ask you a question. You say the first thing that comes to your head.
2: Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm nervous.
1: There's no rules in this game. That's another <laughs> thing that keeps it exciting. Okay. To date, what's the most challenging role you've ever had to play? Dawn. How come?
2: Um, The vocal power of needed for her and for her song while she's being thrown around was something that I did not expect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thing that surprised you the most about New York City upon moving here?
2: How friendly everyone was. That was unexpected.
1: Kind of goes against the reputation. Yeah, I
2: really thought everyone would be uh, rude, but (laughs) it turns out they're just efficient.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you were a baseball player, which position would you play and why?
2: Um, I always wanted to be a pitcher. I have no idea why. I just remember being in the backyard, like throwing balls, being like, I'm going to be a girl pitcher.
1: I wasn't. It could be done. Like a Monet (laughs) Davis. (laughs) There you go. Better ballpark food. Progressive field. Uh, You can see the air quotes Mm that I'm using. Mm -hmm. Don't get me started. The, mm-hmm. the It's always the J. <laughs> always. Jig. City Field or Yankee Stadium.
2: Yankee Stadium.
1: What's your go-to when you go see the Yankees-Indians game these days?
2: A uh, hot dog, for sure, and Classic. a beer. Yeah,
1: hot dog and a beer. Yeah. Do you do the whole bleachers thing?
2: Um, depends. Sometimes, if there's a lot of people, if we have a big group going, bleachers for sure. Um, Progressive Stadium now has. Uh, an area with a lot of um, Cleveland food stalls and you can stand. And that's a pretty popular option at the moment.
1: Most fun actor or actress you've ever gotten to work with?
2: Chris Fitzgerald.
1: I can see that being fun.
2: It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun.
1: Most embarrassing stage moment?
2: Mm. Well, um, the glasses that I wear for Dawn don't actually have glass in them. Um, and one time I was in the middle of the scene where I was taking uh, Ogie's order and I had an itch near my eye and I put my finger right through my glasses <laughs> and itched my eye. <laughs> and <laughs> it was very clear at that moment <laughs> that the glasses were fake. <laughs> so.
1: Did you think a lot of people in the audience caught on? Uh,
2: You know... I kind of left going. I hope at least one person noticed and got a kick out of it. Um, (laughs) So who knows?
1: Favorite late night snack. Two-show day at Brooks Atkinson. You get home. It's after midnight. What's Caitlin grabbing before she hits the couch?
2: A mini bagel. Toasted? butter. Yeah, toasted with butter. Just one? Yeah.
1: Okay. That's kind of like a healthy late night, (laughs) (laughs) like in comparison.
2: Okay. I would also add on some string cheese.
1: Ooh, okay. Now I love, we're talking.
2: love string cheese. Um, and if I'm like really going in, a frozen pizza, like from Stop and Shop. Oh, wait
1: a second. Amazing. You grew up in the Midwest, like first <laughs> go around with, with New York pizza. You pick Stop and Shop pizza?
2: I know, but we're we're saying like if I'm going in and like this is already in the freezer, you know? I don't even have to leave the apartment.
1: Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah, you could also get, get it from one of the many great pizzerias. That's true. That's true. Speaking or
2: ordered pizza it doesn't have to be stop and jump. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Retire that. That's my suggestion. <laughs> Proudest moment of your career.
2: Hmm. Um. Oh gosh, this is supposed to be a fast game. Um, I think probably singing when he sees me, uh, with Sarah playing Jenna on stage.
1: And lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you and what was it?
2: Mm. I think the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten was not to put myself in a box. Uh, type wise, mainly just to not, um, allow myself to only go out for certain things to really kind of open my field of vision on what I could do with my life.
1: Awesome. So before we wrap up here, I just got to ask, what do we think of the Indians this year?
2: I have high hopes for the Indians this year, as I I always do.
1: (laughs) You Cleveland fans are so nice. If it's in New York, it's like, we didn't fix the bullpen. We didn't time this guy. You you say it with a smile. I do.
2: I do because I, I, you know, I like to be, I'm a very um, passive watcher. I, I love to watch, but I will cheer them on. And if they lose, that's okay. There's always next year.
1: Well, I think it's cool that you have a distraction with, you know, a job and career as cool as yours. You know, making people happy on Broadway every one night. So oh, thanks so much. Yeah, well, listen, it's been a pleasure, Caitlin. Appreciate you coming on today. Thank
2: you for having me. It's been great.
1: And last but not least, where can everyone find you on social media?
2: So I am on Instagram at, at @KateHula, and that's it.
1: Okay. So then people don't really have to worry about, you know, because I know how to spell your name. They don't have to worry about it if it's hula ham with an I or ham with an Correct. A and stuff. Yeah.
2: Just hula. H-O-U-L-A, C-A-I-T, H-O-U-L-A.
1: Wow. That's a good, that, could, that sounds like something from a commercial. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, that'll close out the ball game here on Break a Bat. It's been so great to have you with us. Al Malafronte, signing off from the Broadway Podcast Network studios. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcasts, And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time.